In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, You who are everywhere present and fill all things, treasury of all that is good, and master of life, come, dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, a good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. Okay. We're going to look now at um, the Passion Narrative in John, which is chapters 18 and 19. And uh, we're going to go a little bit slowly uh, to try to understand and enter into this radiant mystery of the act of love in which our Lord Jesus Christ died. But John, this is the moment of glory. Uh, it says there in uh, chapter 13, uh, at the beginning, you see, and this is why this part of the black gospel is given the name of the book of glory. Um, Stars before the feast of Passover, Jesus, Jesus knew his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world and loved them to the end. And this is now, we're arriving at that point where this happens. Um, so, for John, for the whole New Testament tradition, the whole tradition of the church, this act of Jesus is glorious because it's an act of love. An act of love for the Father, an act of love for us. And yet, the human realization of this is gruesome. I suppose most people by now have some idea of uh, the process of crucifixion. I'll go over it very briefly in case some of you have never the prisoner, once condemned, usually the Ibis ad crucem, you will go to the cross, is usually the sentence. He's taken and beaten. It's part of the punishment, but it's also to render him docile to the rest of the execution. He's beaten, weakened, cowed, and um, humiliated. And so then, he's more pliable. Normally, the, the charge against him was um, put on a placard and hung around his neck. And usually he carried only the crossbar because the upright part of the cross was already fixed in place. And this part, this place was very visible, usually just outside the city gates. Why so visible? Well, you see, it's for notorious criminals and runaway slaves, and it's to instill fear. If, you see, if you're thinking of running away, or if you're thinking of this kind of a crime, take a look at that fellow up there on the cross. That could happen to you. So it was a fear um, tactic as well. 
So it began with this beating, which was, as I say, to render the prisoner docile to the rest of the treatment. Sometimes the bee, there was no limit to how much they could beat. But sometimes the man died right there. Uh, then he was given the cross beam, because most of the time the upright beam was already in place, using a great big round um, tree trunk. And uh, with a slot, most of the time, a slot in the top into which the cross beam was lowered. And the man was crucified not in the palm of his hands because they would tear right away from the weight. From But here, where all these bones meet, uh, is, is uh, from the skeletons we have of crucified people, that's, that's doctors have worked with this and they say it has to be someplace around here which happens to also be the place where many nerves meet so it's an extremely painful place and then the feet were nailed the one example we have from a skeleton the feet were sort of crossed over one over the other and then one nail was driven through them both but we don't know that then the man was then that cross piece was lifted up and lowered into the upright piece and the man is there now death ultimately comes through asphyxiation uh, that is the weight of the body pulls so that it's impossible for the diaphragm to operate therefore the lungs can't fill in order to avoid that or to offset that the prisoner would then lift himself up on his feet but that's so excruciating he can't continue it he drops down again and this goes on sometimes for days. Um, it's, a, it's an extraordinary, it's, it's, you know, even Cicero calls it a mors crudelissima. And by law, no Roman citizen could ever be crucified. That's why Paul was beheaded. So this is the, but our Lord, you see, is being crucified as an insurrectionist. Um, and therefore, you know, opposed to the Roman government. And then there'll be part of the dialogue where, shall I crucify your king? And the leaders of the Jews renounce God and say, we have no king but Caesar, which is the one thing they've denied for centuries under foreign domination. It wasn't the whole people. God didn't hold them to it. He still loves them, still wants to be their king. But at that moment, they just totally rejected Jesus. It's a very horrid story. And yet, seen through the eyes of faith is a glorious story because it shows the love of God for us. And in doing so, shows us the true meaning of sin. There is in the Christian tradition this um, gift called the gift of tears. And that gift, which is very precious, there's even a uh, prayer in the old missal for it. And it says, like, God, you can draw water out of a stone as you fed the Jews in the desert. Take water out of my heart. Let it come through my eyes. Let me weep over my sins. Well, why does somebody weep? Because they see the true nature of their sin, which is frightening. We're we palliate it, we don't think about it, you know, but there you see it. But you see it 
through the eyes of our Lord's mercy, that it's this that's forgiven. Not some little mistake, not some little, but sin against Jesus Christ, the Lord, against God the Father and the Holy Spirit, uh, who love us immensely. And to see that sin through the eyes of the love of Jesus makes somebody weep. And that's the gift. And it purifies some of the old uh, monastic writers call it a second baptism. It's that moment of a deep conversion. Uh, And so it's a precious moment. Often comes when the truth of this suffering, mostly the interior suffering, uh, and the greatness of the love with which our Lord died and with which he loves us at this moment, finally gets there. And then we weep. And that's the gift of tears. It's a great gift, and it brings about a purification of soul. All the old monastic, many of the old monastic writers talk about this gift. So, what we're doing now is we're entering into this section uh, where we talk about the glory and the the glorification of uh, God through the act of love in which our Lord died. So you will remember we finished chapter 17, which was a prayer. And then John starts, Now, having said these things, Jesus went out with his disciples across the brook Kedron, which is still there. When you walk out uh, on that side uh, of the city, the east side, and go down the hill, you cross a little brook. It's not very noticeable now. And there is Gethsemane. Right there. And so, what's being described, you see, across the brook Kedron, where there was a garden. As I say these things, because I lived there five years, I can still see it, going across and walking into this garden where there is the church of Gethsemane into which he entered, he and his disciples. Judas, the one to hand him over, knew the place as well, because Jesus often came there with his disciples. Luke also mentions that in chapter 22, that he went there, quote, as was his custom. It was a place he liked to go, liked to pray. And it's just outside, still outside the city, outside the city walls. And now with this road that goes by out there. Um, So Judas, taking the cohort and officers from the high priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, the cohort, uh, if that means the Roman cohort, that's a bit surprising, but maybe, maybe that was true because Pilate is already giving his cooperation before he's ever even investigated the prisoner. Um, And officers from the high priests and the Pharisees, and they're they're now bonded together, the high priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons to confront and to arrest the Son of God, their Savior. And John 
purposely. This is the way he takes it, tells the story, you see. And it's uh, a way of uh, showing the irony, the tragedy. But if you look at it from the side of the love of the Lord Jesus, you see, it's glorious. Kavod, doksa. And he glorifies the Father through this, you see. Uh, remember in chapter 12, when, um, maybe I could read it for you here. Uh, what can I say, Father? Save me from this hour. Yes, here it is. I am troubled now. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So this act of love, this saving of the human race, these creatures saved by God, that's the most glorious thing that could ever happen in the whole of creation. That God would suffer for us. Now, this is unbelievable, really except it is believable by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, they come now. Uh, they're after a crook. So they need lanterns and torches and weapons. This man is dangerous all of a sudden. You see how when we're full of sin, everything frightens us. Jesus frightens these people. It's a mess, isn't it? So they come with all these things, you see. And then uh, the, the next, as we'll take after the break, uh, Jesus' response to this.